0: It is Tuesday, November the 29th. Welcome into episode 65 of Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. It's the former Young award winner and the five-time World Series champ, David Cohn. The research ace, James Smythe. Myself, Justin Shackle. Producer Dan Rourke is here as well. And we are between the weeks of Thanksgiving and the week of the winter meetings. And historically, big business has gone down During this week, as it pertains to free agency, should we expect that to happen this week? That is uh, one of the questions that we are going to answer here this episode. We're going to also examine what needs to happen for the top of the free agent pitching market to start to take shape. We'll look at the Mike Clevenger signing by the White Sox that happened over the weekend, and we're going to try and guess whether we will have at least one new Hall of Famer by this time next week. Uh, David James. I got a story though to open up this show with you guys. I, as you can see on the YouTube stream, I'm wearing some great tone the slab threads here, a nice comfortable hoodie. I was at the doctor's office last week and I was wearing uh, actually this hoodie, but another color of it, got them all. Um, and the receptionist says, Wow, that's so cool. I love Coney. And I said, Well, you should listen to his podcast. And she literally took a yellow sticky note wrote everything down I said yeah he hosts it with Justin Shackle and James Smythe." went completely over her head she said that's <laughs> awesome I am definitely gotta check it out so Justin when do you want to come in again for a follow-up appointment went
1: completely <laughs> yeah, over did not register <laughs>
0: no it did not but uh yeah, how are you, you guys doing here after this uh Thanksgiving holiday
1: doing good you know it's so slow this time of year so yeah everything's calm but gearing up for the winter meetings obviously and Yeah, it's uh, a lot of speculation, right? What's going to happen? Anxiety if you're a diehard. Aaron Judge in San Francisco. Oh my God, what's going on out there? So yeah, there's 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 a lot a lot of uh, guesswork going on right now.
2: Thanksgiving was great. Now we're just gearing up for the winter meetings. A little little quiet, but things could be picking up soon.
0: They can either be picking up during the actual winter meetings again. Only a few years ago, I remember, all the action was essentially done before the winter meeting. So a lot of it took place the week prior, the week we are currently in right now. So we're going to get to a lot of discussions on what this week could include. We'll also talk about this week in pitching history, three of three down. But let's start off with the opener. David begins us every single week with the topic that's on his mind. David, what do you have?
1: well uh, it's along the same lines of what I was just talking about everybody's trying to guess what what's next and if you look at last year really it's you know everybody wants to, sp- to speculate on the f- big free agents and there are some great shortstops out there obviously Aaron Judge at the top of the list and those things tend to shake down you know uh, according to their own time frame but to me it seems like general managers nowadays are so into sort of working working different uh, scenarios on trades the trade market. and if you look at brian cashman and last year the big move in the offseason really was the whole left side of the infield trade you know the geo urshela and glaber torres back to second base bring in donaldson bring in Kiner falefa to play shortstop those are the kind of deals i think that every gm loves to talk about loves to kind of mix and match and and i expect that to kind of be uh the case this year as well uh the only thing I can tell you is my experience with the winter, winter, meetings go back to 1992 in Louisville, Kentucky. I was a free agent. Barry Bonds was a free agent and we showed up. The players actually showed up knocking on doors. I remember knocking on the Yankees door when Buck Showalter was in, on the other side of the door. And this was when George Steinbrenner was, was on suspension at that, at that particular time. And I knocked on the door unsolicited, just kind of cold knocked on the door with my agent. And I could hear him on the other side of the door going, hey, it's Cone. It's Cone out there. What do we do? What do we do? And we could actually hear through the door what they were saying. So they finally let us in. We had a couple of talks with them. They didn't really know what to do. They were pursuing Greg Maddox at the time, rightly so. But it's just funny. Some things at the winter meetings are pretty funny, pretty pretty humorous. But I think it's a little more controlled scenario now than players just going up and cold knocking on, on GM's doors.
0: So did did you and your agent practice your elevator pitch as you were knocking on team stores in the hotel?
1: Not necessarily. No, I think we just wanted to look them eye to eye, you know, and and, then sort of present yourself, say, Hey, I'm here. I'm interested. Uh, I, you know, I want to show you, you know, put my best foot forward so to speak, you know, and yeah, back in nineteen ninety two, it was a different world in, the, in Major League Baseball. But it was funny just to to go around Louisville, Kentucky, this hotel in Louisville, Kentucky, and start knocking on doors. And the Yankee one, the Yankee door, was particularly humorous because I I just caught him completely off guard. And it was a time, as I said, in the Yankee universe when things were a little uncertain who was running the show because George Steinbrenner was still on suspension back then.
0: Well, we know that uh, Hal Steinbrenner is driving the bus when it comes to the signing of Aaron judge, the potential re-signing of Aaron judge. And uh, you said, David, times are different. I don't foresee Aaron judge having to go door to door or wear an a-board and say, Hey, here's what I offer. Come sign Aaron judge. (laughs) Um, It's a completely, completely different, but those stories are so cool to hear and just, you know, how how it used to work uh, at the winter meetings. There are a ton of great winter meeting stories over the course of the last 40 years or so. Um, let's let's get into some of these offseason quick hits because there was one pitcher in particular that did reportedly find a new team. And it's a guy who was perceived as maybe as high as a number two starting pitcher, but maybe looked at as a potential ace down the road just a couple of years ago. This is Mike Clevenger, who's reportedly signed a one-year deal with the Chicago White Sox worth $8 million. Came back from Tommy John surgery in 2022. He had about 22, 23 starts, showed decreased fastball velocity and also a, a decreased strikeout rate. I'm always of the belief that you need like 15 to 25 starts coming back from Tommy John surgery to really knock off the full amount of rust that you accumulated and then see where a pitcher is at there. If Clevenger returns to form that we saw in 2019, 2020, how would you rank the White Sox rotation of, you know, Clevenger in the number five spot, but then ahead of him you have Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Michael Kopech. How do you like that?
1: It's certainly at or near the top in the American league and within their division, you know, clearly the top rotation projection wise, right? You could go to fan graphs, you could go to zips. There's all these projection systems out there, steamer that project uh, uh, future performance. And I, I'm sure all those projections would have the white Sox at or near the top. And I think it's a great signing. If you look at pen graphs also sort of, uh, you know, recommend or sort of puts a value on, uh, on war. You know, uh, one war is worth around seven or eight million dollars. So Clevenger, I think, will probably do better than that next year. I think that's a potential steal as he gets stronger and gains a little velocity. Uh, he's certainly going to be probably at a minimum a major league average starter next year. And the and the ceilings much higher than that if he can get some velocity back.
2: His ERA was 4-3-3 in uh, 114 and a third innings. The strikeout rate. Showed an alarming drop from usually in the around 24, 25% in 2020 down to just under 19% in 2022. But like you said, Shaq, got to shake off the rust. I think the big key for the White Sox rotation is which Lucas Diolito are we going to get? Are we going to get the guy who had a 347 ERA, a 129 ERA plus for three years? from 2019 to 2021, where it looked like here's an emerging ace who got Cy Young votes in all three seasons, or we're going to get the guy we saw in 2022 with a 490 ERA, basically a, a subpar innings eater type. If G. Lito bounces back, then I think there's a lot of upside in that White Sox rotation. And one, and one thing that we missed with the White Sox last year, maybe they should have just brought back Johnny Cueto. <laughs> Cueto was fantastic. They completely picked him up off the scrap heap. He turned in 158 innings and pitched to a 3.35 ERA. He was fantastic, and so that so if you're looking for like a number five starter, there Clevenger's going to have some big shoes to fill.
0: I think if Mike Clevenger can give you what Johnny Cueto gave the White Sox in 2022, Chicago would probably be. Pretty happy with that from a fifth starter's perspective, for sure. I'm wondering that, and and again, we only know this once Clevenger, I guess, gives his discussions. Obviously had success in the American League Central a few years ago with the, the Guardians. But if you're the Padres, you see this deal, one year, $8 million, Hey, we don't know the details. Maybe he just wanted a reset, move back to a division like the AL Central with a team like the White Sox. But for what you gave up to acquire Clevenger a couple of years ago, I'm wondering why 1 year 8 million. Hey, let's run it back with Clevenger. The Padres didn't do that, but they they know more than we do.
1: That's a great point, Shaq, right there. Um, and James is exactly right. You know, two of the most predictive stats that general managers look at are, are walk and strikeout rates, both for pitchers and hitters, cuz those tend to stabilize and those tend to tend to give you a a clear picture of, of uh, in terms of predictive value moving forward.
0: All right, so that kicked off a lot of uh, free agent talk, I guess, for this week. Kind of a minor signing, but again, one to keep an eye on as we move into the 2023 season. Free agency should pick up this week. Right off the bat here, will there be a big money signing before the start of the winter meetings next week in San Diego?
1: Well, you know, the one thing that is for sure is that A lot of things have a domino effect. So the big the big dogs kind of tend to go first and everybody's kind of waiting on what Aaron Judge does or to me, you know, uh, Carlos Rodon is such a power lefty, maybe the best uh, pitcher, too. So those two guys, what they do and where they land has significant impact on everybody else's planning. So if you're the Yankees, it's hard to make plans unless you know if Aaron Judge is your right fielder or not. And certainly uh, that that goes on down the list. And the Dodgers play a big part in that and and rebuilding their team, uh, obviously losing their shortstop and Turner, uh, going going the other way. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Who's going to go first? Interesting to see. I think it should probably be Aaron Judge. I think he's even said so. If you look at some of his quotes, he understands the value of getting his contract out of the way so that you can build a winning team and make other decisions before it's too late. So uh, he's an ultimate team player. He certainly wants to get his value, but he does he's not going to drag this out to the very last moment and go visit every team and try to play a bluff game, a big poker bluff game. I think he just wants to be treated fairly. Barely. He wants to be paid what he thinks his market value is. And to me, that's at the top of the pay scale. So the question comes to where he wants to be and how many years he gets at the top of the pay scale.
2: I don't know if we're going to get a big money free agent signing before the start of the winter meetings. I think we could see a lot of action at the winter meetings, but maybe like Coney said in the opener, maybe there's a little appetizer before the winter meetings in the trade market. Even Ken Rosenthal's uh, recent uh, article in the athletic talking about what he's hearing leading up to the winter meetings. Maybe the catcher trade market is, is uh, picking up and maybe Sean Murphy gets dealt or something like that. So even though, guys like Judge or the big free agent pitchers, they set the top of the scale in free agency. There are still other moves to be made that you can kind of fill in in the middle of the pack.
0: Let's revisit Judge in a few moments. Obviously a pitching podcast, so let's start with the top of the free agent pitching market. And James mentioned Ken Rosenthal's latest article. He touched on Carlos Rodon and how he could you know, arguably represent the best long-term starting pitching option for a team here. And he also said that, um, you know, the Rangers are a team that seems more confident in landing a player like Carlos Rodon over signing the best available starting pitcher. Names like we've discussed, obviously, Justin Verlander, Jacob deGrom. And deGrom had been linked to the Rangers heading into free agency, but... Uh, According to The Athletic and Rosenthal, Texas may seem a little bit more confident in landing a guy like Rodon for a team uh, that has yet to prove themselves. They've obviously shown that they're going to be spending from last season what they did in free agency. Big plans to spend this offseason here, but they've yet to win. So for a team like Texas, is Carlos Rodon
1: actually the smarter play for the Rangers? it's a great point all eyes are on texas because of what they did last offseason right they can't stop now i mean they have their whole middle of the infield uh, and big commitments obviously you know with the free agent signings last year and their shortstop you know and in seager and obvi- and obvious and uh, <clears throat> excuse me and and obviously their second baseman so yeah that's a huge commitment that you can't stop right there so yes they need pitching i think they're looking right at the top of the scale they have some maneuverability they have Tremendous resources and new stadium down there. They have an ownership that's committed. So yeah, I expect them to play right at the top. I don't know if Rodon's the answer or Degrom's the answer, or maybe it's a, a combination of depth plays in terms of trying to build out their entire rotation. But they need an ace without a doubt. And uh, i I would be surprised if they're not major players at the top of the at the top of the free agency scale here. And that that's names like Degrom. That's names like Carlos Rodon
2: they check their boxes last winter you go out and get Simeon. you go out and get Seeger. they have good debut seasons in texas four five six wins worth of value there that's a good first step and those guys are locked in long term maybe it is better to have rodon for a four or five year deal than it is to have say justin verlander for two because your window is a little longer everyone jumped on the rangers last year and say oh well Why'd you go get these big money free agents when you're not a good team? And they lost 94 games this year. But the idea is that you have these guys for the next several seasons and that this is the time to start your rebuild. And then by the time they're still in their prime, you add some big pitchers, hopefully they would develop uh, their own minor league players too. Then you have a window of contention still.
0: The more I think about it, I feel like if the Rangers had say a season in 2022, similar to maybe the Baltimore Orioles, you know, maybe they won uh, 10 more games or so that may be enough in my eyes to have a guy like Jacob deGrom convinced that they're on the right path. Like this. Okay. We see a foundation here. I can add to it over the next three years or so. I don't, this this is just me, but like, I need to see it to believe it. Otherwise you're going to have to overpay an extraordinary amount to land a guy like Jacob deGrom. Um, That's just the way I'm thinking. I don't know if I'm on the right track there, but when you take a look at Rodon, Verlander, and Jacob deGrom, Rodon probably represents the best long-term signing out of any available free agent starting pitcher here. Other end of the spectrum, Verlander, Gram probably are going to command short-term deals or at least shorter than Rodon. If money's not an issue here, who would you rather sign, Justin Verlander or Jacob deGrom?
1: Just from an age standpoint, obviously, you'd probably rather have deGrom. I would would guess, you know, if we're talking about Texas. You know, to me, if you look at the the Phillies and their story, and they're the last team to get in the new playoff format, the last team with the worst record got in and made a run to the World Series and almost snuck one out. We're very competitive in the World Series. That should send a message moving forward that if you're a team like Texas, or if you're a team that's around projected 500 or so with the, on the record side, that you can bump it up and get in contention and sneak into postseason and make a run. Especially if you've got, you know, some some stars, sort of like we said, the uh, the blue chip player model. Then yeah, I'm thinking probably Degrom would be better for Texas. Verlander to me is a win right now kind of a situation for a team that's already, you know, a little more assured going to be there. You know, that's right back to Houston or maybe to the Dodgers, you know, some someplace like that we touched in our last episode. But if I'm Texas, I'm thinking DeGrom probably down in Texas would probably be better. Uh, You know, Rodon or DeGrom, either one, probably, you know, it's a pick 'em, whichever one you can get. But yeah, I would be, I'd be shopping in that category if I'm Texas.
2: I think Verlander might be a better bet than DeGrom right now because just, It sounds ridiculous for a 40-year-old who's had Tommy John surgery recently, but he seems like a little bit of a safer pick health-wise because of DeGrom's issues the last couple of years. So I think I would go Verlander there, even though on a pitch-per-pitch basis, DeGrom is as good as anyone in the game or anyone ever. Um, But back to Texas real quick. You look at their record, they lost 94 games. But they – it would be a little simplistic to chalk it up as luck, but – they were 15 and 35 in one run games last year that is by far the worst record in the major leagues and one of the worst in baseball history so if they if you just balance that out they sh- maybe they played a little bit closer to 500 than you would think just looking at their at their record so they might just get a little bit of a a bounce back you know law of averages kind of thing next year to begin with Then if they make some more additions, maybe a 500 season or an Orioles-esque leap is in in play.
1: Absolutely. If you look at their run differential, you know, James is dead on as usual. But yeah, their run differential suggested that they should have won at a minimum 10 more games than they did record-wise. So yeah, not one run game stat that James threw out certainly tells stories. So if you're looking at one team to make a jump, like a plus 10 jump, at least 10 wins, maybe more uh, on their record side, more wins than losses compared to last year. It's it's the Rangers.
0: Just to put a bow on this top of the pitching market here, do we think that Rodon can conceivably sign before DeGrom or Verlander, or is, is he going to be waiting to see what that market looks like?
1: Yeah, it's just straight speculation, right? You just don't yeah. know. Uh, he is the the lefty, though. And to me, that still holds value. I know we, you know, in, in today's game, righty-lefty matchups maybe not not as uh, significant as it once was, but he's still a left-handed power pitcher. Those are few and far between. That still has value in my book. So if you're targeting a lefty, that's a power thrower, you know, you, you might he might he might be the guy that goes first. All
0: right, let's move on to Aaron Judge. Um, <laughs> quite simply, when, when you know you have Aaron Judge, and then you have the loaded shortstop market here. And I feel like they're intertwined because the big money can either be spent on the crown jewel of the free agent class judge, or some of the elite shortstops that we have in the game right now. So will the dominoes begin to fall in the free agent shortstop market only after Aaron judge makes his decision?
1: It's a great point. Yeah. And I think obviously Carlos Correa is waiting for the Yankees. You know, he's had had several offers already reportedly from from the Minnesota Twins who want him back very much and is probably uh, it might end up being his best offer. But he's got to wait for the Yankees. And so certainly that's why we say there's a domino effect. And Aaron Judge at the top of the scale is going to affect a lot of different teams, a lot of different decision makers. And certainly Carlos Correa is waiting on Aaron Judge to make his decision because if Aaron Judge ends up in San Francisco, that throws everything you know, up, up and up for grabs at that point. And certainly the Yankees might be in the market for somebody like, like Correa or Turner or somebody else, somebody else that's that's next in line in terms of the, the best free agents available.
2: Agreed. I think uh, judge is the uh, big domino to fall as far as free agent position players go.
0: All right. When we zero in on the shortstops though, David mentioned Correa who do we expect to sign first? Will it be Correa or could it be a guy like Trey Turner?
1: It's interesting. You know, I, I think Trey Turner's value may even go up because of his base running ability. And that, that that's going to be, uh, to be, to be determined. We don't know about the rules changes. We've, we've touched on the rule changes with the, the bigger bases and the minimum number of pickoff throws at two to to throw over and try to pick a runner off on first base. So, how much of a premium on base running our general managers going to put going to play in in this uh, free agency market and Trey Turner's one of the best base runners out there available. so yeah his value should be up as far as that goes. so you know it's uh I, I think uh, when you look at last year's signings, when you see what Seeger got in in Texas over 300 million you got to figure that Turner's in that category as well and you know he's that highly thought of coming off a really good year. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes and his value might be up for the base running reasons I just gave.
2: Well, I have no clue who's going to sign first. How's that for a hot take? (laughs) Um, But I want to see what you guys think of this. And if this is part of the calculus for either of these guys, Correa was just a free agent and then he opted out Trey Turner. This is his big jump into free agency. Does that make Turner more likely to wait it out and kind of let everything play out and, and kind of, um play the field a little more. The fact that this Possibly. is his first free agent foray.
1: Possibly. I think you know, once again, we we don't really know. We're speculating, but that's what we do, right? On a podcast, trying to speculate and guess and there's been rumors that he likes the east coast better, although more recent reporting has said that he did enjoy his time in LA as a Dodger. So that that plays into it as well, but you know, I can tell you, just speaking from experience, being in those shoes at one point, when you're a free agent and you're kind of vulnerable out there where you're not sure, uh, it can be very anxious. It can be an anxiety ridden time. And you, what you really want to hear is that you're really wanted. You want to go somewhere and, and feel like, man, we love your game. You need to be here. We love you. And, and you need to be sold. And, and you're susceptible to that no matter how much you think you're sure of yourself no matter how much you think you have tremendous confidence and you know where you want to play you can be swayed you're still in a vulnerable state as a free agent I was that way Barry Bonds was that way in 92 both of us chose in 1992 to go to our hometown for for Barry Bonds it was San Francisco for me it was Kansas City and believe me those sales pitches worked you know the you know I know that's what they're doing to Aaron judge out in San Francisco now they got Chris Mullen to call him up and, and give them a sales pitch. They've got Seth, that's supposedly, you know, uh, Steph Curry to, to call him or, or to get his get in contact with him. Those are the sorts of things that happen in free agency that can sway you. Ironically, whether you believe it or not, you really are kind of vulnerable when you're a free agent and you want to hear those sorts of things.
0: Yeah. yeah about Chris Mullen here, is, is this official pitch to judge here, New York guy. Obviously made a hell of a career out in the Bay area, but does this officially like extradite Chris Mullen out of New York? Is he no longer a, a, you know, playing for the home team here?
1: Good chance. He's going to get a Bronx chair. If he ever shows up, you know, in the box seats down there, close to home down close to home plate. I guess it'll come down
2: to whether or not he actually seals the deal and gets him to go over there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think Carlos Correa, just to answer your question, James, I think Carlos Correa obviously has more information than Trey Turner based off what he went through last year, just a year ago. Could be wrong about that. I don't know how much has really changed. Maybe you want to factor in how teams are operating with the new CBA finally, you know, under their belt. Not sure, but I feel like Carlos Correa has a little bit more information. He respects the fact that Aaron Judge likely has to go first, but then I think he'll be more assertive once Judge makes his decision. Like, guys, I'm ready to go. Best and final offer, so to speak. I think yeah Trey Turner first experience through all of this kind of like any natural you know natural behavior you'd want to see what it's all about you've worked your entire life in your career to get to this moment so yeah I think I think Correa probably signs first just because he has the experience of free agency over Trey Turner but we will see what happens anything could happen one thing I feel like we are uh, definitely going to have happen is get close to a signing over the next 10 days or so uh one thing that we are definitely going to find out within a week's time and this is my slam dunk prediction here guys sunday night i don't even know which two teams are playing in the sunday night football game but i think it's going to be uh overshadowed by baseball because you are going to have the 2023 contemporary baseball era voting happening uh on sunday just ahead of the winter meetings or to really to start the winter meetings in san diego the contemporary baseball Era will vote for induction into the hall of fame candidates need 75 percent of the ballots cast by the 16 member committee and this is the ballot that has roger clemens and barry bonds on it as well as a host of other major league uh players that played in the big leagues from 1980 up until um they were officially off the the regular ballot. So my question here, guys, will anyone on this ballot be a Hall of Famer this time next week? I think so. I think uh, my
2: prediction is that it will be Fred McGriff.
1: Wow, interesting. You know, I, I think there, you know, there is a potential domino effect here and obviously the 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 two big elephants in the room are barry bonds and roger clemens two of the greatest players to ever play the game you could you could make the argument that roger clemens might be in the top three greatest pitchers of all time maybe even the best pitcher of all time seven cy young awards barry bonds maybe the greatest player of all times seven mvp awards so if those guys don't break through and make it, and maybe there is a domino effect for somebody like a Fred McGriff or Donnie Manningly, Donnie Baseball. Maybe a statement vote, depending on who's on that committee. There's 16 votes; it's a mixture. We don't even know who's on that committee as of yet. I'm not sure. I mean, it, it's kind of changed over the years, but we know it's kind of a mix of some Hall of Fame players. Of uh, I think there's an executive on there. Uh, there's sort of a representative of both sides of baseball. It could be sort of a statement vote where somebody like a Donnie Mattingly gets through because of how he handled himself, um, you know, the type of career he had, even though it was shorter, it was it was limited because of his back injury. Uh, maybe even a Dale Murphy type who had a couple of MVP votes. Maybe somebody like him sneaks through in and, and sort of the anti-steroid vote, so to speak. So it, it's interesting to me. We could debate all day long. On which side of the, the the aisle you're on? This is pre-drug testing era. Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds, uh, you know, it's there's no doubt about their numbers. If you're just talking on the field, you know, they're Hall of Fame players. So, you know, I don't want to get into a debate about you know uh, being a, being judgmental on which side of the aisle you're on. I personally think that Bonds and Clemens probably should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, I've been on on the, the the fans. I've been on record as saying the fans kind of get it. We can sort of do our own asterisk and say this was the steroid era and kind of qualify it that way. But with all that being said, if, if this committee goes the other way, then there is a chance that, that James is right, that somebody like Crime Dog, Fred McGriff, gets in or Donnie Baseball or Dale Murphy. The
2: 16 voter panel is a collection of Hall of Famers, Hall of Fame executives, um, uh, media members, uh, writers. Um, so it's a smaller group. Uh, just for uh, all our edification, the eight players on the ballot Albert Bell, Bonds Clemens, Mattingly, McGriff, Murphy, Rafael Palmero, and Kurt Schilling. Now, they also recently changed the rules around the ERA committee. It used to be you need 75% of the vote, which you still do. You still need 12 out of 16 votes. However, in years past, each voter was limited to only a maximum of four players, which means, I mean, there's really only a, a max of, of 64 votes that a guy could get. Now they lowered it to three. You can only vote for three out of the eight. So now you have even fewer votes out there. It was already hard enough to get enough consensus to get guys in on the veterans committee. So now it's gonna be even tougher. I think that does not bode well for these types of candidates over the big picture. I do think that around the chatter around McGriff and his candidacy, as he was winding down his time on the ballot, his case is a little more old school. And I think it, it, it appeals more to, to the veterans committee than maybe getting short shrift with the writers. Uh, I think McGriff gets the nod on Sunday.
0: Here's what I'm more intrigued about over whether, you know, what, what players may, may or may not get in. And for the record, I think like to see Bonds and Clemens get in. I believe they're Hall of Famers, but do I think they're going to get in? Probably not. I think it's going to sway into the direction that you were talking about, David, where if they're not in, guys like McGriff, Murphy, Mattingly uh, have a boost as far as the, you know, I don't want to call it like the example being set, but they're sending that message for sure. In that little vacuum, I'm curious to see who is making up the Veterans Committee, because as we saw, with Harold Baines's election several years ago, there were guys like Tony La Russa, the manager that Baines played for, who kind of lobbied him to other members of the committee. Maybe he had a big influence on Baines getting more votes in, in that area. Has, how it relates to the guy who was ultimately selected for Hall of Fame entry, I'm intrigued to see who is making up this committee. And if there are tea leaves to be read, in that department. That's just me.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of a battle between uh, good the good citizen vote and the bad citizen vote, right? I mean, you could even go down the list. Kurt Schilling's a Hall of Famer. Okay. 3000 strikeout club, his postseason record 2.23. He's a three time World Series champ. I mean, his numbers suggest he's a Hall of Famer. Rafael Palmeiro, 500 home run list. Uh, he had, uh, I think, more more walks than strikeouts his entire career, over thir- in a 1300 range. Just remarkable numbers, Hall of Fame numbers, no doubt. But if you're talking about steroids or bad citizenship with Schilling, uh, then that kind of sways the other way. If you're going to hold that against them, then the good citizenship vote, you can't get three better guys than Donnie baseball, Fred McGriff or Dale. Is there a better guy than Dale Murphy out there? I mean, if you're going to do the good citizenship vote along with a great career, then okay. You know, if you're going to play politics and those three guys are certainly on the other end of the spectrum, it's an interesting contrast of, of characters, personalities, philosophies. It is a, a really interesting vote. Something you're right. That Sunday night's going to be uh, to me. You know, big news if you're in the baseball world. I
2: meant to mention this
1: earlier in my little uh,
2: spiel about McGriff. I I will go on the record and say, I don't think Bonds and Clemens come particularly close at all uh, with the committee.
0: And for this particular group of players, the contemporary era ballot, if you do not make it, you have to wait three more years before you are up for potential election uh, down the road as it stands right now, because there are only, they, they vote on this uh, specific type of unique uh, ballot every single year. There are currently three different ballots. So do the hard math there, folks. Um, let's move on, guys. This week in pitching history, James, what do you have for us this week? Well, I'll
2: tell you what, gang. We are not going very far into the time machine here. Uh, this time last year was the pre-lockout free agent frenzy before everything got shut down on December 2nd. And looking back at this, I forgot what a horrible, awful time it was for baseball and for baseball fans with all this going on. Yes, you had the, the sugar rush of all the, the players scrambling to, to sign with teams before everything closed down, but we had Marcus Simeon and Corey Seager going to Texas, which we talked about a lot, those guys a lot today. Uh, Max Scherzer to the Mets, Kevin Gausman to the Blue Jays, Robbie Ray to the Mariners. Uh, Javi Baez to the Tigers, Starling Marte to the Mets, Byron Buxton signing his extension with Minnesota. So there were all these moves in in the final, you know, three, four, five, six, seven days before the lockout. And it reminded me of all the horrible negativity around the game at this time last year. The owner imposed lockout, shutting out the players, putting the season in jeopardy. This thing dragged on all offseason. It wasn't until March that things got cleaned up and we finally got a season. It was a little hinky trying to s- squeeze in games that because they pushed the season back by a week. But um, contrary to some of the more negative uh, guesses, my, mine included, we actually got a 162-game season, a full season, a full postseason in 2022. It was, uh, a rem- this looking back for this week, Uh, a stark reminder of what was almost taken away from us by the owners.
0: Well said there was a ton of players looking to sign before everyone moved underground. And it turned out they were underground for what? Almost three and a half months before it was was, was uh,
2: from December 2nd until early to mid March. So yeah, it was a good uh, three,
1: four months. Yeah. Great point. Considering last year, the, the the state of the industry to this year, some of the most significant changes in the sport that we've seen maybe in our lifetime, not just with the rules changes, but but the schedule changes, a balanced schedule this year coming up. So, yeah, you know, that's another thing to factor in. We really haven't talked about a lot, but every team's going to play every team. The unbalanced schedule is gone, a thing of the past. Playing the Red Sox 19, 18, 19 times a year, a thing of the past. That's going to impact the, the central divisions, you know, the, the, a lot. Their, their schedules are going to get tougher. They're not going to beat up on each other as much. You know, the the Kansas City's and Cleveland, the Cleveland Indians, the Cleveland Guardians of the world are going to be a little different this year. They're going to have a tougher schedule. So that's another thing. So these, these are enormously significant changes for our sport in terms of the rules changes, the pitch clock and the schedule changes. going to be really an interesting year for Major League Baseball it's like, we've, like we probably haven't seen in our lifetimes.
0: I'm already looking at like the 2023 Yankee schedule. I know I glanced at it last week and only saw like two trips to Baltimore. I'm like, what is, what is this? It's, yes. it's not going to hit you until we get closer to the regular season, but it's so true. Um, three up, three down. I think what James's point for this week in pitching history kind of segues nicely into what I kind of wanted to bring up for three up, three down. I'll lead it off here. And it's something that we may have missed last week. Because of the holiday, I think it came out the day before Thanksgiving, but it was reported that the Houston Astros split a record $38.7 million postseason pool, and that came from a total postseason player pool of $107.5 million among all the teams that qualified for the postseason. So if you're unfamiliar with how this all works, really quick, player salaries They're only for the regular season. The postseason shares for the players is how players get compensated, really, for the postseason. So the postseason shares for the players, they come from a percentage of the gate receipts during postseason play. So the Astros obviously went the furthest. They won the World Series. That means that they receive the largest share of that $107.5 million. And Houston's players decided to hand out 59 full shares of the 38.7 million amongst themselves, their coaches, their support staff, anyone that they deem deserves a full share, they get um each full share for the Astros came out to $516,347. So if you are maybe a team travel coordinator, they did they believe that you did a lot of hard work, they're appreciative of you. They gave out a full share. You get over A half a million dollars right there. Um, But things like postseason revenues for players, they were a negotiating topic for the CBA last year. Uh, Everyone was paying close attention to that. So I thought, you know, it was worth sharing that that news came out last week.
1: Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it it was a collectively bargained issue and uh, those shares could also be split up. Mm-hmm. Quarter shares, percentages of those full full shares can be split up among other helpers around the game, around around the clubhouse and, you know, kid kids doing the laundry, you know, can can take part in that, too. So it depends. You know, I've seen some of those meetings get very contentious at times, too, where veteran players are like, this is our money. We collectively bargained for this. We went on strike. Uh, this person doesn't deserve it, or this person does deserve it. It can, it can be pretty contentious in some of those shares meetings. Uh, you know, rumors were that David Robertson, uh, ruffled some feathers a few years ago in one of the Yankee meetings that that left a bad taste in some of the people in the front offices mouths at that particular time, just speculation on on some of the reporting that was done, but yeah, those, those shares meetings at the end of the year, boy, they, they can be, uh, they can be yelling and screaming affairs at times or have been in the past, uh, Half a million, over a half a million dollars. That's a, that's, a, that's a pretty nice full share for a lot of these guys. Some, some guys that, uh, you know, like a, an athletic trainer or a first base coach, that's three times what they make on average. So yes, in a full year. So that, that's a big deal for, for a lot of the support staff.
2: Maybe not for Justin Verlander, but for support staff for a September call up or what have you, that's life-changing money. And Seeing that fifty nine number, hey, there's twenty six guys in the roster. Seeing that number fifty nine, good on the Astros. That means they must have uh, been very inclusive in uh, in spreading the wealth around.
0: Very true. All right, uh, David, three up, three down. Let's move on to you.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I just I think it's a good time off season reading. You know, it's all you know, it's a, it's always good to make some recommendations. I have one, a great book, a great writer, Jeff Perlman did a book on Bo Jackson. It's called the last folk hero, the life and myth of Bo Jackson. I was there. Uh, Jeff, Jeff called me and interviewed me for this book. It was 1986 that Bo Jackson was uh, a rookie with the Royals. That happens to be my rookie year. We both broke in together that year. I came up from Omaha, Nebraska, living in the Interstate Inn. It cost 25 bucks a night to stay at the Interstate Inn in Omaha, Nebraska. I had a roomie, so it was actually 12.50 a night for me to stay there. I had a 1973 Doodoo Brown Ford Granada with a with a 3 on the floor and, you know, the stick shift, and I drove that. It was beat up, it was rusted out. I drove it to Royal Stadium that my big league debut made my big league debut bo jackson was there he needed a ride back to uh, his hotel room after the game i said hey bo i'll give you a ride so we hopped in my ford granada and it was dirty it was stinky it was rusty and bo just read me the riot act on giving him a ride in that by the time he got out of the car he said you need to trade this thing in on a bike this is awful he'd never let me forget it it was just one of those treasured memories that you get as a rookie in the big leagues and You know, but that Ford Granada got me from Omaha, Nebraska to the Royal Stadium. So it did it. It did its part. But Bo Jackson was like like a Greek god. He was like as if as if Zeus came off the mountain and said, I want to play baseball and football. That's what he looked like. That's how athletic he was. He was just just remarkable to see the way he played, how athletic he was, the way he ran. People, people who never saw Bo Jackson play. Should probably look at some of the videos or read this book, The Last Folk Hero, to tell you a lot about Bo Jackson, a true five tool player, had a cannon for an arm. People don't realize how good his arm was, you know, if you didn't see him play, but power, speed, arm strength, like I've never seen in the game. You know, Bo Jackson really probably is the last folk hero, Bo Jackson.
0: Love it. And in his spare time, he played uh, running back for the Raiders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Incred- incredible. James, what do you have? Three up, three down.
2: Uh, some shameless self-promotion uh, for three up, three down this week. Uh, if you, I, I think I've mentioned it on here at times uh, over the last year. If you follow me on Twitter, you've definitely seen me ranting about this. The um, one-inning per team game pitching qualifier for ERA and other kind of rate stats. It used to be a group of you know ninety or a hundred pitchers around Major League Baseball. Now it's Uh, Now it's uh, under 50, and I've argued that we need to lower the bar from, say, 162 innings, a little lower, whatever number you want it to be, 150, 140, 130. We could sort that out, but this week uh, I will be making a case in baseball prospectus. Uh, I'll be having a a piece on that uh, publishing sometime this week, I believe, so be on the lookout for that and my uh, insane ramblings about uh, lowering the inning qualifier.
0: Beautiful.
1: Very nice. Wonderful. I love baseball it. I love, love it. That's a must read.
0: <laughs> for
2: sure. Great publication. I've been reading it for years and it'll be cool yes. to see my name in there too. So.
0: Congratulations. Yeah. It's a, it's a point that you've brought up multiple times on this podcast and now it'll be in baseball prospectus and who knows, maybe it moves the needle for change. James Smythe, inspiring change throughout the baseball <laughs> landscape. Very nice. Congrats, man. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Thank you, All right, guys. I think that wraps it up here for this week. Potentially anticipating some big business to be made this week ahead of the winter meetings. We shall find out if anything big drops. We'll be back with you here on Tone the slab, but that is going to do it for this week's episode Uh Again, the best way that you can show your support for the show. Rate, reviewing, subscribing. And I'll wrap it up here for David Cohn, for James Smythe, for our excellent producer, Dan Rourke. This is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week with perhaps a new member of the Hall of Fame, perhaps a new member of the signing. We'll talk about it here. Tone the Slab, pitching with David Cohn, a production of John Boy Media. Take care, everybody.